Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, Season 3, Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes. Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. The Wirecard Saga is a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you, Tom. Welcome back, listeners. In the last episode, I was taking us on a survey of the greater Wirecard court docket as it presently stands. I told you at the end of the show that for this next episode, you'd need to don wellies and waders. As for the next lawsuit that we're going to explore, we're going to have to wade into the guano, and it is piled high. Now, before we dive in, I am covering some subject matter that may make some people uncomfortable. This episode includes sexually explicit content and not in any positive way. Some of the details included in the civil suit I'm about to discuss are difficult to hear. I'm going to admit the worst elements. I'm definitely leaving the worst out, as it's definitely not family listening. For the rest of you, suit up. Now, Wirecard followers can be forgiven for having missed the Jane Doe lawsuit filed in California in the Central District back in 2021. After all, we were all busy watching the Bundestag hearings and sitting in on more obvious court cases, weren't we? But back in 2021, a group of Jane Doe's, and for you non-legal folks in the U.S., the names Jane and John Doe in a lawsuit are used as pseudonyms. Whilst there are a number of reasons to use a pseudonym in a lawsuit, such as occasionally the true plaintiff or victim's identity is not actually known, I won't get into all of the reasons here. But pseudonyms, like Jane Doe, are also used when a lawsuit involves the victim of a sexual crime. The idea is not to re-traumatize the victim or victims by publicizing their names in conjunction with what they have suffered or are alleged to have suffered. So... Serena Flights, and this is her real name, and 33 Jane Doe's, yes, that's right, a total of 34 women and children, filed suit against MindGeek, formerly known as Manwin, DBA Pornhub, DBA over 100 different porn domains. I'm not going to list them all here. The suit also names Traffic Junkie Int. Global Entertainment, and Visa Inc., that's right, the payment processor credit card company, and a slew of other entities and individuals, including Austrian National Bernard Bergmar, Ferris Antoon, David Tassilo, Corey Ehrman, and et al. Now, why is this case interesting, particularly for the Wirecard folks? It alleges violations of the U.S. federal sex trafficking laws, distribution of child pornography, violation of U.S. federal exploitation law, racketeering, distribution of privately, private sexually explicit materials, and a number of other federal violations under U.S. civil statutes. Nothing too egregious. Just the sickest of the sick stuff. How does this relate to Wirecard? <laughs> you are clever listeners. Have you not figured it out? Why, yes. Wirecard was the banker and the payment processor to MindGeek. Now, I'm largely going to call it MindGeek, even though it has all these other DBAs. Now, in the complaint, MindGeek is described as the, quote, most dominant online porn company in the world. Now, there is a Czech company owned by a French couple that may or may not be larger or more dominant in this industry, but who's quibbling? Let's stay with Wirecard and MindGeek for the moment. The lawsuit alleges that MindGeek holds the largest non-regulatory repository of child pornography in North America and beyond. Let that sink in for a moment. As the plaintiff states, the case is about rape, not porn. The ultimate UBOs of MindGeek, Bergbergmar, who resides in London but is listed as a resident of Hong Kong, and Faris Antun, Canada-based, Funny how so many paths in and out of Wirecard begin and end in Canada. And if you forget, refer back to episode 7, 10, 11, 23, 24, so on. Okay, the plaintiffs include children not only from the U.S., 
but children from the UK, Colombia, Thailand, and Canada, all of whom were sex trafficked for the purposes of child pornography being made and distributed by MindGeek's Greater Network. Maybe that's why in June of this year, Tosilo and Antoon beat a hasty retreat from MindGeek? Nah, I'm getting ahead of the story. Let's return to the core problem. The selling and distribution of child pornography. The rape and abuse of children and women who were trafficked in for the purposes of recordation of their abuse to be sold on the internet. MindGeek supporting, sourcing, and distributing via their 100-plus online companies this type of content. MindGeek doesn't exist to offer free content to worldwide wankers. No. It's in the business of generating revenue from these crimes. And the only financial institutions named in this lawsuit? MasterCard is name-dropped for having processed payments for MindGeek's pay sites, as is Discover, in the past. Although, as you'll hear, MasterCard and Discover both ceased processing some years back. Visa is a named defendant. But the other named financial institution in this suit? You guessed it, Wirecard. Up to the moment of its total collapse, Wirecard processed payments and banked the revenue generated from these criminal activities of MindGeeks. This sixth story also offers yet another lesson in how offshore incorporation jurisdictions are used to obscure ultimate beneficial ownership, facilitate tax dodging, and, hey, thanks to the likes of Wirecard, money laundering, allowing criminals, including child pornographers, rapists, and traffickers, to evade law enforcement and profit from transnational crimes. So compliance and AML officers, take note. Prosecutors, investigators, students, financial integrity, sit up and pay attention. I'm about to take you through yet another lesson in transnational offshore laundering, or how the dirty get away with it. Let's begin at the beginning, as it is said. MindGeek is incorporated and headquartered in Luxembourg and operates out of offices in Montreal, Los Angeles, but it also has offices in the UK, Cyprus, and Romania. Pornhub, MindGeek's DBA, is incorporated in Cyprus, yet operates in the US. Okay, so far so good. First layers of obfuscation. Layered entities where operations are in one jurisdiction, whilst the corporate parent is domiciled in a more forgiving locale. Through a web of dozens and dozens, if not more than 100 plus, interrelated companies, and I'm not talking about the domains, subsidiaries, sister entities, and holding companies, incorporated like places like Cyprus, Luxembourg, Ireland, Hong Kong, Curaçao, and the BVI, and of course the US, Delaware, and Florida, MindGeek overwhelmingly controls the vast majority of porn sites on the internet today. And that's no small feat. And you won't find Bergmer or Antun or Trusilla's names on the companies. No, layers of nominee directors and subsidiaries that list one another, a Mobius strip of empty shell companies in various countries chasing and pointing back at each other. As the complaint observes, MindGeek's collective internet sites that it ultimately owns and controls via this vast network of shell companies receive an average of over 3 trillion monthly visits. Trillion. It leaves Amazon and Netflix in the dust. A lot of companies, at least in name with online presence, to feel that traffic? Yeah, that's a lot. The company is thought to be worth mm, somewhere in the realm of one and a half billion pounds. In 2018, MindGeek generated at least 460 million in revenue. Now, I say at least, because it isn't actually possible to trace all of the revenue up and down the traffickers, the filmers, the uploaders, the support companies, the tech companies, the sites, and across the myriad of entities where the revenue pings through accounts around the world. It would take a not small army of investigators and financial forensic experts to fully unwind it all. The complaint calls the company the Monsanto of porn. And the complaint alleges a list of criminal activities that occur through MindGeek sites, 
the human trafficking, the child pornography, stalking, blackmail, extortion, wire fraud, embezzlement, bank fraud, tax evasion, money laundering, internet hacking, and uh, yeah, more. MindGeek regularly aired videos of rapes and non-consensual exploitative content. Now, I won't provide some of the more repugnant details. There is, quite honestly, a lot worse. The reading's fairly heinous. MindGeek and its financial facilitators profited from all of it. The suit alleges that substantial portions of the purported user content on MindGeek's tube sites was content produced by human traffickers that MindGeek itself commissioned or from whom it otherwise agreed to purchase this illicit content. And that revenue for all that content, well, it was being processed and banked through Wirecard. If you think the Wirecard executives didn't know about this client, think again. This was a whale. The kind of client a company could build an entire commercial enterprise off of. Now, you can say these are merely allegations. Except Bernard Bergmars, majority owner of MindGeek's wife, Brazilian fashion blogger Priscilla Bergmar, validated MindGeek's content problem when she went public last year, saying she really hoped Hubby Bernard would sever his connections with Pornhub slash MindGeek. Wait for it. For the sake of the children. No, not the children being sexually exploited, but her own children and kids who may inadvertently get exposed to this depravity online. Prissy, of course, stands by her man and claims he knew nothing about the content his company's sites were airing. Seriously, she was concerned about children's viewing habits, but didn't seem too upset that her lifestyle had been funded by the sexual exploitation of children. She did, however, call upon governments, in general, to promulgate, that's probably too big a word for Prissy, she did say governments ought to make more rules about who can access what online. Is it checking IDs to access internet sites we need, Or is it that criminality shouldn't be allowed to profit from true depravity? Golly, Pris, what do you think? We know what Wirecard thought. Now, it wasn't just Priscilla who came out and essentially validated allegations against MindGeek. MindGeek is under FBI investigation after 132 sexual exploitation survivors called on the Bureau to probe claims of sex trafficking breaches. And then there are the Canadians, Back on February 1st, 2021, the Canadian House of Commons Ethics Committee launched their investigation into MindGeek for hosting videos of child sex abuse, rape, sex trafficking, and non-consensually distributed content. The Ethics Committee opened the investigation by interviewing Serena Flights. She's the named plaintiff in this California suit I'm discussing. The name's Wirecard. Now, Flights is a survivor of image-based child sexual abuse distributed through Pornhub. And folks, you talk about a whistleblowers and being brave enough to speak up. This girl blows every corporate whistleblower off the charts. She's 19 now. She is one of the bravest modern human beings out there right now. You want a motivational speaker? Go ask her. She's no first to the regulator's post to report and seek compensation for blowing the whistle. She did it to help put a stop to some of the darkest acts humans can come up with. Those acts that have earned so much money for the likes of Wirecard. Fleiss testified that a nude sexually explicit video her then high school boyfriend had coerced into making was uploaded to Pornhub without her knowledge or consent when she was 13. By the time she became aware of the video having been posted to MindGeek Pornhub, people at her school were talking, and it had generated hundreds of views on MindGeek. Flights contacted MindGeek directly, but it took the company two weeks before they even agreed to take the video down. And then the company dawdled. And by the time its affiliates and Pornhub had removed the original video, The video had been downloaded countless times and re-uploaded across Pornhub's numerous tube sites. One upload alone garnered 2.7 million views. That's right, of a 13-year-old. 
Even viewers commented that she was clearly no more than a young teenager. But the video kept being replicated on Pornhub sites, even though Serena sent proof of identity evidencing she was a child. Serena's video was by no means the most grotesque. Flight's lawyer, Michael Bow from Brown Rudrick, testified to the House of Commons committee that, after a year of investigating MindGeek, he had identified hundreds of cases of rape, abuse, and trafficking, including of children, all being hosted on MindGeek sites. Bao told the committee that he was of the belief MindGeek hosting these videos was not, quote, a mistake, but rather that the company knowingly profited from illegal content. MindGeek itself publicly stated that all of its content is reviewed by moderators. This amounts to admission that they actually knowingly allowed child sexual abuse and other illegal content on its site. Now, the Canadian committee heard evidence of a 14-year-old who was kidnapped and tortured and raped. That video was also on MindGeek's site. And she begged the company to take it down, but MindGeek was making money from that video, so it wasn't removed. Until that abused child had to pretend to be a lawyer and threaten MindGeek with reporting to law enforcement. MindGeek didn't report this video abuse to authorities. Experts from NGOs dedicated to protecting children from exploitation testified to the committee that among many other crime scenes, they witnessed the monetized rape of an obviously prepubescent child on Pornhub. The child was seen screaming and recoiling, but there are advertisements all around the video of her abuse, including in the middle of the video, if pause is pressed, before the video, and after the video. And each of those ads generated revenue from MindGeek and for the financial institutions that process the online payments for this content and the ad clicks. The URL was delivered to the FBI and to the center, a National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who demanded it get removed from the site. But it still took MindGeek Pornhub weeks to take the video down, and only after it had profited from tens of thousands of views. MindGeek then left the data live on the site, including the URL, title, tags, and views, in order that Google could continue to index information and continue to drive traffic to the site using that child's trauma. Because, hey, this generates revenue. Another child protection NGO filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of all children sex trafficked on MindGeek in the Northern District of Alabama in 2019. One of the plaintiffs in that case had been drugged and raped at just 15 years of age. The rapist videotaped that sexual assault and promptly uploaded it to Pornhub for profit. Another client was sex trafficked starting at 14 years old. Among other abuses, her trafficker forced her to participate in pornography videos, which were later uploaded to, you guessed it, MindGeek's Pornhub. MindGeek tried to have that Alabama case dismissed, claiming it had immunity. Immunity for child sex trafficking, rape, and child sex abuse material, which it knew its website facilitated, promoted, distributed, and profited. Golly, how could Wirecard turn MindGeek away as a client? Who doesn't bank the proceeds of those crimes, huh? Wirecard knew because even the most cursory due diligence on clients at financial institutions at least garner a quick look at the company business. And we know that the direction of Marsalek, not only were higher fees assessed to higher-risk clients such as MindGeek, Wirecard had an entire business line in obfuscating the true nature of the payments it processed, recoding payments for online porn, gambling, etc., Hey, Wirecard investors, that money lost? You're now hearing about some of the activities that generated revenue for it. Yeah, your ESG investment strategy for your portfolio, it may require some adjustment. The accusations against MindGeek include kickbacks and side arrangements made to facilitating companies. Antun and Bergmer may be the public-facing owners, but there are others unseen. These owners and core investors come through financiers who offer, quote, special situation investments to ultra-high net worth clients, 
allowing them to receive outside returns and evade taxes on this highly dirty, risky business. MindGeek also reportedly had or still has some better-known financial backers. J.P. Morgan, Chase, Cornell University, and Fortress Investment Group, a New York-based in Fortress is a, an investment management firm. Yeah, back then, they gave the company $362 million in debt back in 2011, when it was known as Manwin, looking to expand. So here's a little history on MindGeek, formerly known as Manwin. It was founded in Montreal. A web developer, Matt Kieser, first called it Interhub, with the idea amateur and professional photographers could post to it. Now put Kieser in your pocket for a moment. Over in Germany at this same time, Fabian Talman, he of Manwin MindGeek, started his first programming venture right out of school in 1997 by founding a company focused on statistical analysis and high-traffic websites. Now, note the overlap in timing with Wirecard and early technologies engineered to help handle the increased in-traffic to websites, early online commerce, e.g. payments, and website analytics. Talman's breakthrough occurred in 1997 when he developed software called NATS, Next Generation Affiliate Tracking Software, which linked the vast number of internet pornography sites for the first time and enabled visitors to select sex films according to their preferences. Now, simultaneous to Talman's discovery or invention of NATS, fellow Deutschlander Paul Bauer Schlichtergrohl had founded EPM, AG Entertainment Print Media, 1998, offering the German edition of Hustler magazine online as well as porn. Billing was via dialer at a price about Deutsche Mark 3.363 per minute. Now, if you think Thelman and Bauer Schlichtergrohl didn't know each other, think again. All that early e-commerce and porn needed payment processing. Bauer Schlichtergrohl formed Tainment Net Commerce E, GmbH, and he filed a patent in 2000 for a system he created that allowed multiple user machines to be coupled with servers connected to a network. And from there, coupled to the network, were information sources that connect with a checking station. That's a patent, and it allows data to be accessed and compared to identity of the user. A voila! Subsidiary of EPMAG is born, EBS, Electronic Billing Systems, for payment processing. Yeah, listeners, you know where EBS led to that investment in Infogenie, and the rest is Wirecard history, so to speak. If you've forgotten some of this early history, go re-listen to episode four and remind yourself of another individual who spans both Tileman and early Wirecard employee Hoken Hakrein. Really, go back to episode four. Because at the core of Talmud and Bauer Schlicht Girls companies are internet porn for commerce. The success of Nats prompted Talmud to start his own online porn sites. Now, he founded the Manwin Group, now MindGeek, in 2004. It would become the largest purveyor of porn on the internet in just five years. Even back then, MindGeek sites were reputedly garnering over 16 billion cumulative hits per month. In 2006, he secured a license for the Playboy label, which gave him control of all of its television and online productions. And recall, Bauer Schlichtergrohl had Hustler. Revenues from MindGeek were boosted by the addition of MindGeek's pay-for-porn sites that were advertised alongside its free tube sites. And those pay-for-porn, how did they pay? They used EBS. Meanwhile, in Canada, Concordia University engineering students, Stefan Manos, Osim Youssef, Ferris Antun, were longtime friends with Matthew Kieser. Take him out of your pocket now. They get into business with Kieser and hatch in 2004-2005 an online porn company, Mansaf Productions, and the online porn site Brazzers. In 2007, Mansaf invests in Talman's MindGeek's Pornhub. 
Antun and Trucio moved to the Mind Geek side of the house in 2008. Now, it didn't take long for Mansef to fall under investigation. In the late aughts, 2009-ish, the U.S. Secret Service revealed an investigation into the company. MindGeek, still Manwin at that point, and Mansef are alleged to have been involved in money laundering and arms dealing. Ha! Huh. So many coincidences. U.S. Secret Service seizes over $6 million from the company bank accounts. But that doesn't stop Fabian. Thalman buys out Mansef outright, supposedly for 140 million euro in 2010, and folds it into his Manwin Mind Geek empire. As Talman said, and I quote here, from the beginning, we, Mind Geek, also used earnout deals. Our deals were all structured with upfront payments plus payments over time, which were in big parts financed by the businesses we bought. Our synergies were always quite good. So the profits we made from a website were usually quite a bit higher than the previous owners. God, doesn't he sound like he belongs at Wirecard? Manos, Antun, and Trucio stayed with Manwin, but it's now part of MindGeek. Now, around the same time, Germany's Developer newspaper published articles saying its journalists had gained access to Manwin's internal accounts, which allegedly showed that although German actors performed for sex videos in Germany, They were paid illegally by a subsidiary company in Cyprus. Here is one of our offshore entities kicking in. By 2012, Thalman was arrested and charged with evading tax, failing to pay on the 100 million his global internet porn network was earning annually. He was held in a Belgian jail on suspicion of tax evasion, which had occurred using this Byzantine corporate structure to hide profits offshore. Doesn't this sound familiar? This structure had been helped into place by Manwin's accounting firm, Grant Thornton. Oh, where would the crooks of the world be without enablers, I ask you? Thalman was extradited to Germany to stand trial. Now, he gets released on bail for some in the range of low double-digit millions, and ultimately, in 2016, pled guilty to charges of tax evasion. The German court sentenced him to 16 months in jail and a whopping fine of 150,000 euros. I know, you thought I'd say millions. But the 150k went to charities because in 2015, he had already admitted to the prosecutor's office in Cologne that he'd neglected to pay taxes on income earned from 2005 to 2010. So he negotiated 5 million euro to settle the back taxes. Whilst hanging out in Belgian prison awaiting extradition in December 2012, Thalman got out of the game, so to speak. He sold his interest in Manwin to Cecilo and Antun, purportedly for $73 million. And then, after reaching a settlement with U.S. federal prosecutors, Manwin MindGeek continued to be dogged by investigations into money laundering, tax evasion, human trafficking, and child pornography. Pay attention to the years this is happening. Thalman had turned to, quote, Eastern European investors for investment money. <clears throat> uh-huh. However, by October 2013, Thalman was supposedly completely out of the company, said to have sold his stake and stepped down. The company's name is then formally changed to MindGeek. You can now maybe find Fabian flogging medicinal cannabis and running an Adriatic sailing company. Investigations into the mind continued, including into suspected child pornography. And this is important because this is only 2013, and yet the company has been the target of very public criminal investigations since at least 2009. Investigations of the sort a financial institution might be aware of. And Wirecard? They're processing for MindGeek, and they're a key bank for MindGeek. MindGeek is the dark side of Napster and YouTube. It allows users to upload their own content, hoovering up terabytes of porn from producers around the world. They are indiscriminate in their intake and in what they stream, intentionally. It isn't that they don't have the technology to screen the content pouring in, 
In fact, a 2018 research project by a UCLA law professor identified that MindGeek did have the capability not only to vet their content, but to tweak their algorithms for precision viewing serving to viewers. The predictive algorithms kept serving, but they weren't serving up run-of-the-mill adult porn. Investigators would find that the company was serving up child pornography, abuse, and rape videos. Terms for victims incapacitated, such as drugged or passed out, were the search terms most commonly sought by users and suggested by MindGeek's algorithms. When Talman was in jail, the co-owners and the management scrambled to save the company and sought again to ostensibly switch ownership. They found Austrian financier Bernard Bergmar. Now, where do you suppose they found an Austrian willing to work with dark money? Hmm, I wonder. I guess they could have asked their bankers to put them in touch with someone. (laughs) It is a small world, isn't it? MindGeek had always played with some questionable investment groups, and Bergmer came from a similar sketchy background. Despite having passed through Goldman Sachs at one point, Bergmer provided niche financing for legally dubious ventures. Yes, he'd been at Goldman Sachs and some other Wall Street firms, but largely his ventures that he was funding or finding funders for, Goldman Sachs and the Wall Street, they weren't He worked for time in Frankfurt. Representing one group of uber-wealthy investors, he even purchased a Pornhub competitor, RedTube, in which he served as the titular CEO, and then he subsequently sold it to MindGeek. With Talman gone, Antun and Bergmer consolidated MindGeek's headquarters in Cyprus, viewing it as the jurisdiction least likely to have effective law enforcement. Antun installed a relative, Eddie Kaba, who had zero financial experience. Yes, and so he appointed him to run MindGeek's international operations out of the island. Sure. Antun, Trusilo, and Bergmer rebranded MindGeek as being a form of search engine optimizer, as long as one was looking for illicit porn. And so they began to expand the illicit content its sites offered, and as they did so, They exponentially grew the roster of offshore incorporated shell companies they owned around the world. Through these shells, they began siphoning off MindGeek's cash and value. Hundreds of shell companies were used to pass the profits from content produced through human trafficking and slavery, transnational organized crime using stolen credit cards to launder money, and other frauds such as blackmail, extortion, and hacking. As one MindGeek whistleblower explained, spreading the corporate structure out in hundreds of shells located in dozens of jurisdictions allowed spreading of transactions out such that they did not raise suspicion in any one country. And even if they did, it was very difficult for that jurisdiction to investigate the suspicion when much of the information was in other jurisdictions. In investigations into MindGeek, it has been found that senior management would often appoint a single nominal director of the shell companies from among the lower ranks of its own employees in the company. These corporate directors, of course, knew absolutely nothing about the shell company's purposes, its existence, or even operations. They exercised no control over the bank accounts or operations. In fact, these employees were often well paid for putting their names on documents they hadn't read and for acting as proxies and agents for the company executives who appointed and directed. When they were questioned by investigators or regulators, which was not infrequent, they could legitimately say they knew nothing, thus ensuring MindGeek's executives were protected and the investigation thwarted. These nominee directors were regularly swapped out according to an appointed schedule. Yeah, they actually had a schedule. Classic. So as to further impede the ability of the authorities to investigate. Oh yeah, the management of MindGeek knew what they were doing was wrong. When investigations did manage to progress into one of the shell companies, the executives would delete everything from the system. MindGeek used the shell companies to these affiliates to launder and mass transaction with entities that had banked, banks had flagged or were banned. Where there's partners, those at the production end of the child pornography, were under investigation. MindGeek always gets their money and they launder their payments. 
It is nearly impossible to trace payments to MindGeek's vendors and partners for the criminal acts from its corporate accounts. Instead, revenues roll in, fund a shell company account, and payments move out to more shells before arriving at the partner's bank account. MindGeek executives also allege to structure loans, investments, and vendor payments that make it appear that MindGeek, that main company, isn't actually making money. MindGeek appears on paper to have an annual net operating loss in the hundreds of millions and has done so for several years. Rather, the proceeds are laundered and extracted via the web of shells. Those lost monies, however, are transferred to third parties in which investor members at a high enough level have an interest or financial arrangement. Sounds familiar, right? On paper, Wirecard lost money too. In the Fights lawsuit, a MindGeek insider explained the process as follows. An obscure affiliate in a low regulatory risk jurisdiction would transfer funds to middlemen or agents who commissioned and purchased cheap pornographic content from human traffickers. The MindGeek payments for this traffic content would be shadow payments made from one of its obscure sham shell companies to a middleman without any invoice or paper trail. Rather, a price would simply be agreed upon orally and then payment made to the agent middleman. In return, the traffic content would be delivered to a different third party for formatting and uploading. The third parties who received, formatted, and uploaded the content were a mix of enterprise affiliates, that is, those with investment holdings in MindGeek, MindGeek partner channels, and a network of entities who would be paid to generate thousands of phony user uploads. The third party typically would receive compensation for its services either via ghost payments laundered through their existing revenue streams from MindGeek partners or directly through a different sham shell company. And the partners, many of them ran their own networks of shell companies littered around the world as well in order to move money to transnational organized criminal trafficking groups. The partners would compensate for laundering by higher monthly revenue share payments and one-time bonuses under their partner contracts to mask the payment. For non-MindGeek partners, payments would be laundered through MindGeek's obscure sham shell companies or its corrupt payment processors holding its credit card payments. Such was done frequently with MindGeek payment processor. Wirecard and the handful of other banks and processors working with MindGeek's enterprises participated in the schemes because MindGeek would pay them exorbitant fees and for some permitted them to use MindGeek's platform for their own credit card and identity theft schemes. MindGeek senior management and enterprise-level silent investors would receive their cut of these monies from the third party via revenue sharing or some other financial kickback. You recognize this sequence as classic organized crime setup, right? Regarding MindGeek's scheme to acquire cheap traffic content in bulk, one investor explained to a MindGeek insider, we can do this and we just pay more to launder the money. Another whistleblower described the process of bleeding money out of the system to bogus vendors, quotations, at inflated prices. Now, some of these schemes directly benefited MindGeek and its operational affiliates, and indirectly, MindGeek's management and its financiers via payments on the outstanding loans and compensation to executives. It was always win-win. MindGeek execs could force partners and traffickers to use the shell companies they controlled, even when they knew many of the third-party transactions would result in chargebacks. MindGeek could pay the partners their share of the fraudulent notional revenue generated from the purchases, as well as the actual revenue advertisers would pay MindGeek from the fraudulent ad impressions generated. And this is, again, Wirecard benefiting. So even though it's handling the chargebacks, it's still getting revenue. It's getting kickbacks, essentially, from MindGeek. MindGeek would enhance its ability to mask the fraudulent transactions by A, paying its corrupt payment processors to fraudulently mix its payments with those of non-MindGeek entities, and B, 
using credit card MindGeek acquired through, for example, prepaid accounts to generate its clean transactions, Wirecard. To get a sense of all of this, remember the FinCEN files, the leak of SAR filings submitted to FinCEN a couple of years back? In the FinCEN files were records about Turkish bank Aktif Bank. Wirecard Bank was a client of Aktif Bank. Aktif's correspondent bank in New York was BNY Mellon. In the FinCEN files, BNY Mellon had Fred flagged Wirecard Bank transactions. Aktif, ever the client-serving bank, sought to circumvent BNY Mellon's questioning of Wirecard Bank's activities by transferring Wirecard Bank monies to BNY under a pseudonym. Now, the transactions BNY had flagged involving Wirecard Bank spanned a period from just 2013 through summer 2014. Wirecard Bank, banker to the Monsanto of porn, MindGeek, with help from Active, was seeking to move money for their ultimate clients. BNY Mellon reported, quote, suspicious transfers with a volume of around $17.5 million dollars. Most of this money belonged to MindGeek and Uporn. Now, MindGeek was still operating under the Manwin name, and that is the client name on the transactions in these FinCEN files. According to the FinCEN files, between just June 6, 2013 and July 1, 2014, Active Bank, on behalf of its client, Wirecard Bank, processed suspicious transactions worth some 91 and a half million through its partners in the United States. In 2016, in a case brought in San Diego, California court, 22 victims filed a suit against a website called Girls Do Porn that streamed videos it called Real Amateur Teens. Now, the judge in that case found the videos had been produced through coercive and deceptive behavior. The producers were ordered to pay $13 million in damages. Girls Do Porn was a MindGeek affiliate, and it was to Pornhub these videos were uploaded. MindGeek had acquiesced with crimes against women, girls, and boys, including harassment, sexual assault, rape, torture, and trafficking for sexual exploitation. The founders of Girls Do Porn were indicted on U.S. federal traffic charges. The website was shut down in early 2020, shortly after the indictment, and the flight of its founder to New Zealand to avoid arrest, where he remains a fugitive. Ruben Andre Garcia, one of the traffickers involved in the Girls Do Porn trafficking operation, was sentenced to 20 years in prison on June 15, 2021. Now, this human trafficking ring was one of MindGeek Pornhub's most popular partner channels. Videos of abhorrent acts perpetrated on underage victims of Jeffrey Epstein have been posted on Pornhub and Wirecard processed payments to Epstein's circle and those who paid Pornhub to watch Epstein's underage victims assaulted. Not really coincidental. Recall that back in July 2020, before we knew quite so much about Wirecard as we do now, the New York Department of Financial Services fined Deutsche Bank $150 million for neglecting to flag numerous questionable transactions from accounts associated with Epstein. Deutsche Bank, number one champion of Wirecard and Marcus Braun, and ready lender to Wirecard, Deutsche Bank AG, its New York branch, and Deutsche Bank Trust Company America, agreed to pay the fine related to the regulator's claims that the bank neglected to flag numerous questionable transactions from banks associated with Epstein and two correspondent banks, bank accounts associated with Epstein, and two correspondent banks, Dansky, Estonia, and FBME Bank. Remember Wirecard and FBME? Go back to episode 3, 7, 13. FBME, that Cyprus-based bank, oh yeah, you mean like MindGeek, Pornhub, Cyprus-based, yeah, FBME, that Cyprus-based bank, and Wirecard recoded illegal transactions on credit card payments, including child pornography, pushed out by MindGeek entities. According to the DFS, that's the regulator in New York, Deutsche Bank processed, quote, 
hundreds of transactions totaling millions of dollars that, at the very least, should have prompted additional scrutiny in light of Mr. Epstein's history. Those transactions included payments to Epstein associates who were publicly alleged to have played roles in luring Epstein's victims. More than $7 million in settlement payments and $6 million in legal fees and more than 800000 in cash withdrawals and consistent with public allegations of prior wrongdoing, payments directly to numerous women with Eastern European surnames. Another coincidence, Deutsche Bank was the correspondent bank to FBME in Europe. MindGeek's actions have promoted and maintained the criminal content of pimped or trafficked children. Human rights laws, specifically the 1949 Convention for the Suppression of the Traffic in Persons and of the Exploitation of the Prostitution of Others, the 1979 Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, Article 6, the 2000 Protocol to Prevent Suppression Punished Trafficking in Persons, Especially Women and Children, and the 2000 Optional Protocol to the Convention on the Rights of the Child on the Sale of Children, Child Prostitution, and Child Pornography, they all acknowledge that trafficking for the purpose of prostitution is a grave human rights violation, as is violence against women and girls and trafficking itself. Consent was declared to be irrelevant in the Palermo Protocol, which recognizes the abuse of power and condition to vulnerability of victims. No child and no adult woman should find it necessary to consent to her own sexual exploitation in order to survive, since dignity is the basis of all human rights. MindGeek and its payment processors were the subject of a 2020 expose by the New York Times, which confirmed MindGeek had allowed and profited from this illegal activity for years. The Times story put pressure on the major credit card companies, and MasterCard, Visa, and Discover all ultimately disabled use of their cards on MindGeek's site within 24 hours of that story being published. But this was after nearly 15 years of ignoring stories and investigations into MindGeek. MindGeek responded to the New York Times by deleting nearly 80% of its content admitting the bulk of it was illegal in nature. Visa, a defendant in the flights case, and Wirecard would have been one too if they hadn't imploded, sought to be dismissed from the flights case. But in July of this year, the judge in the case, Judge Carney, issued an opinion that ought to make financial institutions finally sit up and take notice. He wrote, and I quote here, Uniquely situated to prevent MindGeek's trafficking ventures were the financial institutions processing the transactions upon which that venture monetized the content. And at the top of that list were major American credit card companies, Visa and MasterCard. The impact these financial institutions could have had in preventing the victimization of women and men as well as children worldwide was made apparent in December 2020, when in response to public outrage from the New York Times report exposing MindGeek's trafficking, they cut ties with Pornhub and subsequently forced MindGeek to take down over 10 million unverified videos from its tube sites. But that expose was not a bombshell to Visa and MasterCard, or Wirecard for that matter. For over a decade, they had been well aware of the facts that the New York Times exposed, and instead of insisting that MindGeek commercialize only legal, consensual content and comply with United States laws concerning the same, they elected instead to facilitate and profit from the MindGeek trafficking venture. Even today, Visa continues to process payments from MindGeek pay sites that are themselves rife with trafficking and are promoted, marketed, and sustained by the MindGeek trafficking venture. Judge Carney largely denied Visa's motion to dismiss the claims in the lawsuit, ruling that the plaintiffs have plausibly tied the company to the alleged criminal conspiracy. As Judge Carney went on to write, the sexual exploitation of minors is an intractable, complicated social problem involving countless independent bad actors. But plaintiff, flights and et al., 
don't seek to pin society's problems with the sexual exploitation of minors on Visa. She seeks to hold Visa accountable for a much narrower problem, MindGeek's monetization of the sexual exploitation of children. Properly framed, the problem at issue becomes less nebulous and involves far fewer actors. That is especially true when one keeps in mind what MindGeek is being sued for in the case. Knowingly monetizing or financially benefiting from child porn. Visa is being sued for knowingly providing the means through which MindGeek monetizes child porn once such content is already produced and posted. The court need not speculate as to how Visa's actions affect the way that MindGeek approaches child porn. When the court couples MindGeek's expansive content removal with allegations that former MindGeek employees have reported a general anxiety at the company that Visa might pull the plug, it does not strike the court as fatally speculative to say that Visa, with knowledge of what was being monetized and authority to withhold the means of monetization, bears direct responsibility, along with MindGeek, for MindGeek's monetization of child porn, and in turn, the monetization of plaintiff's videos. Visa is being kept in this case because it's alleged to have continued to recognize as a merchant an immense, well-known, and highly visible business that it knew used its websites to host and monetize child porn. Visa is not being asked to police the billions of individual transactions it processes each year. It is simply being asked to refrain from offering the tool with which a known alleged criminal entity performs its crimes. That's not a tall order, and it does not spell out an existential threat to the financial industry. Judge Carney laid out more, but you get the gist. And had Wirecard still still been in business, Chances are very good Judge Carney might just have included Wirecard right alongside Visa. So if it is any consolation for those mourning the loss of Wirecard, the party for the company was going to be over soon anyway. These heinous crimes were allowed to pay for far too long. Those who may still hold profits earned from Wirecard, consider what portion of that revenue came from exploited and abused children. And that's it for today's show. As always, my thanks to Tom Fox and the Compliance Podcast Network. My thanks to all of you, thy listeners. I'll be back next week. We're going to turn back to Austria, espionage, and yet more Russian infiltration and spies. Oh yeah, stand by. And that's it. I'm Mikhail Radegordon. This is Lies, Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes, the WireGuard Saga. Thank you. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of the WireGuard Saga. The WireGuard Saga is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join us again for our next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.